Welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Communications and Advocacy with NCBI. Um, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Eleanor Burke. Thank you very much, Eleanor, for taking the time out to have a chat with us. Thank you, June, for inviting me. Great, great, great. I look forward to our chat. Um, and I suppose as a, an opening question um, that I ask all, all my guests, if you wouldn't mind telling us a little, little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I'm the youngest of six um, born a long time ago. I've just had my 70th birthday recently. Congratulations. Come, thank you. I come from the west of Ireland, Carrick and Shannon. I was born with sporadic aniridia, and this means that no one else in the family has it and that there's no actual known reason why myself as the youngest got the aniridia. Um, for There's no genetic or hereditary well, factor there now. Well, no, I'll talk about that a little more in the moment, but right. there's no genetic within my own family. Okay. So born in 1952, I was diagnosed immediately at birth. My mother asked the doctor immediately, why is my baby not opening her eyes? And she was not prepared for the information to be parted onto her. They said at that time, well, your baby's stone blind and will never be able to see. Thankfully, I do have some vision and I had more vision when I was younger. So going back to a little more about myself, um, I went to the local primary school in Carrigan Shannon until the age of 10, but it was quite obvious that really I wasn't coping. So interestingly, um, it was through my mother being a member of the ICA, the good old Irish Country Women's Association, that she made the contact. A speaker from NCBI was invited and through that they got to hear of St Mary's for the Blind School back in those days, horrifically. It was referred to as St. Mary's Asylum for the Blind. So in 1962, um, it was arranged for myself and my parents to come and have a look around St. Mary's. And what I saw was very positive for me. One thing which struck me immediately, even at the age of 10, was to meet children who also were visually impaired like myself, and then astonishingly to see how these children could read using their fingers, which of course was through the medium of Braille. Yes. And I'd been struggling at home, couldn't read print books, couldn't do handwriting. And immediately I felt I needed to come to St. Mary's for my education. I think that was very forward looking for me as a 10 year old. Yeah, and obviously the, the move from the west of Ireland um, up to St. Mary's, which is now Child Vision, um, is, is a absolute seismic move to make. Seismic. I mean, a 10 year old didn't realise leaving home, leaving one's family, one's friend. But then 
building new relationships, new friendships, becoming educated was also important. So then fast forward some oh, six years or so, 1967, and a few of us were selected at St. Mary's to become the first children from the School for the Blind to go ahead and do intermediate certificate. I think it's called junior certificate these days. Yes. And following on from that, we did leaving certificate. Um, There were just two of us, actually. And then it was decided that we would go ahead and go on to third level education. And so we applied to do physiotherapy in London. At that time, it was just myself who was accepted onto the course that year, my friend coming the following year. But that left me in the history books being the first to leave St. Mary's and go on to a third level education. A significant achievement, definitely. Indeed, indeed. I mean, now what really interests me is looking at and hearing and reading about all the achievements of young visually impaired people through the NCBI website and even hearing about academic grants been given to people helping them in their studies. So it's all very changed days, very positive, and I'm very pleased at all I'm reading about it. Which is great. As you say, things have moved on. And as we spoke to Roshi in in an earlier podcast, who also has Aniridia, she was uh, received her education in in mainstream school, which is now obviously much more the the most common approach to take when you have a a vision impairment. Absolutely. I was simply browsing my Facebook page one night when I came across Roshi's interview. And of course, it immediately took my interest because People with aniridia, we are very few in number in Ireland because it is very rare. Yes. Um, And of course, I started up a group in Ireland myself in 2017. And again, this was in part related to Aniridia Day, which also started off for the first time in 2017. But one of the major hurdles I've had then and continue to have is obviously due to data protection. It's very difficult to get hold of those people who do have aniridia. And it's only really through, you know, making it known about myself having aniridia publicly because I can approach NCBI and I can ask, how many numbers do you have? Or I can approach any of the ophthalmic clinics, but I cannot be given the contact details of anybody. Yes. And that is frustrating, but that's the case in anything. So I think, therefore, it is very important to get the message out there about aniridia and for others to know that there are groups, self-help groups, out there who can help and support, particularly parents of young children, like when I go back and think about myself. Yes. And my mother and the shock she got. Now, more recently, I've taken up swimming with Vision Sports Ireland. And when I started my swimming, again, 
um, just before my session, there is um, a younger youth session and talking to a parent, we were just exchanging what visual problems I had and what her daughter had. And it turned out her daughter had aniridia as well. So I've come across a few again in more recent years. So anybody listening who does have aniridia, I'd be very happy for people to contact me to join the Aniridia group community in Ireland. Great, thank you. And we'll put a shout out again at the, the end of our chat. Um, and I suppose, Eleanor, for, for individuals who are unfamiliar with Aniridia, um, what are the, the main issues that you do have with your vision? As Roisin said in her interview, Aniridia means a lack of iris in the eye. The iris is the colour part of the eye. And um, because there is no iris, somebody with aniridia is photophobic and very, very sensitive to light and brightness. So hence, a, on a beautiful, glorious summer day, it's not ideal um, sight conditions for myself. So the sun is in your eyes. Yes. And whatever vision one has, it's just so difficult to see. So you'll often find that people with aniridia wear tinted glasses. Yes. To get some protection. Um, now, there is lack of iris in the eye, but often people born with aniridia may also have congenital cataracts. And I certainly have congenital cataract. And as it was 70 years ago, of course, um, it was very difficult then for it to be removed surgically. But I have come across a lot of people with aniridia today who do have successful cataract operations. And yes. then lumbered upon that, of course, aniridia can be, if people are lucky, just a condition on its own. But another eye problem which I then have is secondary glaucoma. And of course, it's glaucoma. And as glaucoma increases, that it causes a greater deterioration in vision. So really, over the years, people with with glaucoma and aniridia will often reduce their vision quite considerably. And unfortunately, this has happened for myself as well. And I suppose the the reality is, as you said, it, it depends on the, the individual, whether they have other eye complications or not. Um, but it, it, it depends on the individuals. Some do, some don't. Some manage for many years without any great limitation on their vision. Others even can be very severely visually impaired. But... Just to pick up on two things that you've mentioned already. First of all, as we said, Aniridia Day is international and that is on the 21st of June. That's Midsummer Day. It's the longest day of the year. So we picked that date because it's the date when there is most brightness, most sunlight. And yes. that is what we are very sensitive to. The other thing is, I was saying that I had sporadic aniridia and you were asking about genetic or familial aniridia. 
So the sporadic is even more rare than the aniridia itself. In terms of genetic, yes, there is within families genetic aniridia, and it will be handed down from one parent to another. So you will find families where granny has it and the parent has it, then the children have it and the grandchildren. Yes. So with aniridia, it's um, a PAC6 gene deficiency. And well, with all the research that's going on today, they're certainly looking at ways of treating the aniridia genetically. But I really think that is still a little while off yet in the future. Yes, probably. And Some people have various surgeries. I had various surgeries myself, which didn't really help me. Some people have had artificial iris implants, and that seems to have helped them. I notice a lot of these are really people in the United States rather than in the UK or Ireland. Right, so, right. Although I know one lady, I think, in Ireland who has had one, but um, the other problem with aniridia is the cornea gets very cloudy and that also restricts the vision. And can I ask, um, in terms of what we know, admittedly, it's the census 2016 figures that there's about 55,000 people in Ireland who are blind or vision impaired. Would you have any idea of the, the numbers who are living with aniridia? handful really there um, wouldn't be more than possibly 10 okay. per year who are diagnosed with aniridia in Ireland yes yeah, so, so um, my first um I was I think age 64 before I ever met another person with aniridia and I'm a patient at Moorfields Eye Hospital in London, and I always have been since I went to London at the age of 19. And I think the consultant was really wondering, how could she help me next? Um, well, we were running towards exhausting all various types of treatments, etc. And she had mentioned to me about the Aniridia Network in the UK. So I joined the Aniridia Network in the UK, and it was really very heartening and reassuring to meet others with aniridia and I subsequently became a trustee on the aniridia network in the UK for three years so it was very interesting meeting all those people and sharing experience helping them really and sharing experiences yes and would you say there was one common um challenge that you guys ex experience? Uh, well, abs absolutely everybody. It's the photophobia. I think it's the fact that you can be indoors and you see a certain amount with your vision and that's fine. And you go to go out on a beautiful bright day like this morning and you're just thrown by the sun into total blindness for a while. And obviously your vision like it does adapt like as anyone moving from maybe a mid light position into a brighter or into a darker everyone's eyes have to adjust but 
somebody with aniridia, it takes a longer time to adjust. And likewise, then, when you're coming in from very bright into a room, initially, you're just thrown again and you can't see a thing again mm -hmm. until your eyes adapt and then you can and can I ask you, know, you readjust yourself mm? in terms of, can I ask you in terms of um um online activities do you favor kind of websites that have clear color contrasts and things that you can adjust the um the features on those kind of websites um and have you found that they have increased in in volume in the recent past well definitely websites with contrast are very good and very important. I would certainly go for ones with contrast because you can even then navigate the site by looking. It might be that something's got a particular color background like yellow and you can immediately move to what section you want once you know the highlighted colors. If I'm reading, say, if I was using a closed circuit television screen magnifier to read. Now, there are various options with color, with color combinations with these. But for myself, and I think most people with aniridia, we find that black background with white text is preferable. It's really quite difficult if you have the reverse, which is positive the white background with the black text, because again, you're getting glare from the white background. Uh, 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 now, I also um, have to admit that while I have vision, I also depend on speech technology as well. So I back up the speech with what I'm looking at visually. Um, I also use a lot of products, the Apple products, and with them, again, they are designed that they give you colour contrast, which is very good. Um, so I always favour having the white text on the dark background. And it's great that uh, many Apple products and, and Android as well have kind of now built in those features um, within mainstream technology. Uh, well, means, um... I mean, absolutely. I think maybe Apple was to the forefront with this technology. But as you say, Android came along and there are a certain amount of users who would actually say that Android accessibility was more advanced or that you could do more with it than Apple. But I think we all tend to plug whichever device. Yeah we use, you know, but the thing is to realize, I mean, I just pick up my iPhone and it's such a small device. It's so much communication at my fingertips, literally. I mean, only in the last 15 years, you know, have we had so much access to, well, just like all information on the web, just equally with those who don't have a visual problem, really. True. It's it's True. fantastic. And it, it certainly has, as we keep saying, been a total enabler for people who are blind. Well, I mean, absolutely. You know, I, mean, I can I can recall back. Well, maybe it's not maybe it's even less than 15 years ago talking about this device, which 
you could read character by character, word by word, you could surf the net, you could do your emails on a purely smooth surface and just wondered how on earth could you do that? You know, <laughs> when I'm so dependent on touch for things and doing things in a tactile way. And really, you know, we're really indebted to these people who've invented all this wonderful technology. Yeah, it's true. It, it certainly has um, revolutionized things on so many levels. Um, yes. But that still doesn't uh, detract from the need for things like Braille. And, and would you still be a regular Braille user? Oh, I would be. I would be. I mean, even down to if I'm taking something like medication or eye drops, it's excellent. The fact that even these have Braille on them and it's usually the grade one Braille, which grade one means it's at a basic level that it doesn't have abbreviations which makes it, again, accessible to people who are just familiar with the Braille alphabet itself. But so important, um, going in a lift if I want to go to a certain floor and there isn't anybody else in the lift with me, it's really great to find tactile markings on the lift. Yes. And then even just using around the home tactile markings, it may not be Braille, but these markings can be put on washing machines, cookers, tumble dryers. And again, of course, saying that I also have to realise that we're even moving technologically to these smart devices in the home now, where I think people are now suddenly using their mobile phones. And to turn on washing machines. visually impaired to turn on their cookers and their yeah, exactly. dryers and their washing machines. But I mean, all fantastic. You know, I mean, I've only recently myself um, introduced myself to the smart plug. You know, I mean, how lazy are we getting? <laughs> you know, so it's great technology. But and as for the use of Alexa, you know, to think I can sit in my armchair and not move and have the radio turned on or have the television turned on. Yeah, it's all voice commanded. Yeah, no, it's yeah, absolutely, you know, <laughs> making us all very sedentary. But there again, we have to get out and do activities. And for that reason, I'm very pleased with um, having joined Vision Sports Ireland, as I said. And for myself, I've been doing the swimming, but we had a great weekend just this Yes, the Mayfest, yes, yes. And are you still involved with the um the Dunleary bike scheme? Yes, yes. Well, yes, and when I was in London though recently, I had an opportunity to ride on a tricycle, a double tricycle. So I just sent them on a photograph of myself on the double tricycle. I'm not a great person in terms of using a tandem. But I really enjoyed my tricycle ride with a friend in London there in Regent's Park. Just Great. loved it. Yeah. And I hope that the the um, the bike scheme in Dunleary is uh, being well used and taken up because uh, it certainly was quite innovative when it was launched last year. Very innovative. Uh, you know, very impressed with that. And it got great publicity, which was great to see. And um even RTE picked it up and publicised it, which was excellent. And these people are volunteers and 
giving of their own time and not only in the bike hub but in all different activities um and i think it's so important that we recognize the work of volunteers right across the board in certainly for myself in terms of visual impairment you know i have a volunteer who'll come out with me with my guide dog so that i can free run my guide dog there are the volunteers at swimming there are the volunteers in the tandem group and as i say i don't want to start listing because i leave somebody out but just a big plug of thank you to all our volunteers that are around and i'd echo that obviously for some of the volunteers that are involved in our delivering some of our services um, and also in our shops because we certainly wouldn't be able to run our uh, 130 char- chain of charity shops without our much needed volunteers. So Indeed, start- amazing. And I have to smile every time I look at um, information through the NCBI website and I see about charity shop in Carrigan Shannon. And I think, gosh, did I ever think I'd ever see the day an NCBI charity shop in Carrigan Shannon? Because as a child, my mother, um, was um, an honorary secretary for the NCBI branch in County Leitrim all those years ago. So I was really quite young when I first heard about NCBI, I have to say. Well, it's said the organisation's 91 years old, so it's been around for a long time. Uh, Yes. (laughs) And Uh, I suppose, Eleanor, just to conclude there, um, the question that I ask everybody at the end is, what one piece of advice would you give to a, a parent whose baby has been born with aniridia? Well, the one piece of advice is just enjoy having your new baby. Don't let the fact of a diagnosis and a label come in any way between you and the abilities of your child because. We are all individual people. We all have challenges in life. The person with aniridia has a visual challenge. Somebody else will have something different. I think learn together, but most importantly, be aware that there is support out there and self-help groups. And don't be afraid to ask for the help. There's nothing wrong with asking. And it can only all be positive. Very wise words, Eleanor. Definitely, definitely. And I suppose if there uh, are any listeners who are interested in participating or learning more about the um, Aniridia Day on June 21st or getting in touch with yourself, um, you mentioned earlier you're happy enough for me to to share your contact details with those individuals. That's the case? Absolutely, yes. Great. So I suppose if, if anybody is interested in contacting Eleanor, you can do that through me. Um, so the best thing is probably just to uh, call 1800-911-250 um, or jump onto the website ncbi.ie um, or my email address is june.tinsley at ncbi.ie. But for now, Eleanor, I'd just like to say a big thank you. Um, and I look forward to, to celebrating uh, National Aniridia Day with you on June 21st and uh, best of luck with the whole thing. Thank you.